Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Trina Sideros, and I'm a management consultant at PwC, working with pharmaceutical companies on vaccines, mRNA, and other drug products. I also lead our Health Research Institute, also known as HRI. And I'm Igor Belokronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I get to help leading health organizations develop their strategies and operating models. And today, Trina and I have two amazing guests, Paul Leinwand and Matt Money. Paul Leinwand is a global managing director in capabilities-driven strategy and growth with Strategy End and a principal with PwC US. Paul is a major force behind how our organization thinks about strategy and does strategy work. He works with boards and management teams on their strategies and operating models. And he's also an adjunct professor at Northwestern Kellogg School. And in that capacity, both here and at Kellogg, Paul has helped train many generations of business leaders and strategists. We also have Matt Money with us today. He's a principal with PwC US, and he's also the global leader of PwC and strategy and transformation platform. Matt has spent the last 25 years working globally with organizations across all industries on their business transformation programs. And Matt is coming to us from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. We're here today to talk about their new book called Beyond Digital, How Great Leaders Transform Their Organizations and Shape the Future. Very exciting. So welcome, Paul, and welcome, Matt. Thanks, Igor. Thanks for having us. So first, congratulations, Paul and Matt, on your new book. It sounds fantastic. I came to PwC nine years ago, and one of the first projects I worked on was to help some of our consultants envision what healthcare's digital future looked like. And we were especially interested in non-traditional healthcare players, telecoms, tech companies, retailers, and their interest in healthcare and how they were entering healthcare. And, And in the years since, we've seen that happen quite a bit. So we wondered a bunch of things when we were looking at all this. We wondered how healthcare would be reordered, how the healthcare universe would be reordered, how would the flow of funds change, particularly in the U.S. with our extremely complicated healthcare reimbursement system. We wondered how digital would change the way that consumers access healthcare and how it might change their health. Would outcomes improve? And we had a lot of questions. We just had a lot of questions. And in your book, I see so many applicable answers, especially in some of the case studies that you cite, such as with the transformation undertaken by Cleveland Clinic. During the pandemic, a lot of people wrote books. I'm curious why you chose to write this one and also how does it build on your previous work and the previous publications? Well, first of all, this book started before the pandemic. So it's been a a labor of three and a half years to get to getting this book out into the public domain. And what really started it was first this question around how do you actually succeed in however you want to characterize the current age? A lot of people talk about it as the digital age, or we were hearing from so many CEOs about their digital transformations and how they were being accosted by investors to explain what their digital strategy was. And so we wanted to really explore, well, actually, you know, what does it take? What is, first of all, different about today's business age? How should we characterize it? And then what does it take to succeed as an organization in, again, however you want to talk about this age? I think as Trina, you opened the health system, like many industries, struggles around differentiation. There is so much to do. And as Matt described this idea of digitization, 
healthcare systems are digitizing left and right. But the real question that this book asks is, are we meeting a fundamental human need or customer need? Are we differentiating ourselves in what we bring to that customer? And the more we get overwhelmed with catching up with what the industry does or what our competitors do or what regulation requires of us, the less we're able to solve some of these fundamental issues. That's really the premise of the book and the message of the book. What both of you just said really resonates because we've watched over the last nine, 10 years as healthcare has really picked up in terms of digitizing. And we hear about these mountains of data that are now being gathered. And I think there's a lot of questions around what is the value of all that and how do we actually do something that improves outcomes? And I think even we can see that with the pandemic where we have enormous amount of data on, say, COVID, but how is that actually going to be used to improve the chances of someone surviving? And right now, the biggest improvement to someone surviving is getting the vaccine. It's not necessarily all that data, although a lot of data went into the development of the vaccines. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, I think this is one of the strengths of your book, is that there are actual case studies. So this is not all theoretical. This is actually grounded in things that companies and leaders of companies have done. I wonder if you guys can talk about some of those examples and tie it back to healthcare if you can, because I think healthcare is really aching for some of these kinds of concrete success stories. Well, I want to start with the fundamental, one of the premises of this book, which is that to succeed as a business, you've got to stop chasing after digitization or data or the next technology. I mean, now the latest thing is the metaverse, for example. And everyone's asking about, oh, well, what should my metaverse strategy be? And in essence, when we looked at the companies that we had the privilege to study in this book, the one common thing they had amongst all of them is that they weren't chasing after technology or worried about what next they could do that would be cool and use technology in some cool new way. Instead, they were really focused on outcomes. And actually, one of the best examples of that, you didn't mention that in your opening training, but that's Philips, which is today really seen as a leader in the medical technology. But just a few years ago, they were a multi-industry conglomerate. They were the world's largest lighting company. They were in consumer electronics. They've been known for a long time being in that business. And then they also had a business where they made some medical devices, primarily in imaging. And when they took a step back, they could have also continued to do uh, a lot of things that other businesses do, keep digitizing, add new programs, put in e-commerce, do things like that. But what they fundamentally recognized was that, first of all, that the industries that they were in really required very deep and fundamental transformations. They had to actually become much more interested in achieving outcomes because they couldn't just keep competing on the basis of making the next best device. So the first bold choice that they made was What's the industry that we can actually make a difference in? And they chose healthcare. And they chose that because of the immense needs in that space, but also they felt that they had advantage positions with the technology that they could bring, with the years of insight that they had, and also their clinical understanding to really make a difference. Now, in that industry, though, again, the choice that they made wasn't just to keep digitizing what they were always doing or just add, say, AI and some intelligence into their imaging devices. But it was actually to get interested in how do we solve the problem of keeping people healthy and achieving health outcomes and getting focused and centered around that problem. They went and then transformed their entire company around it, where today they're combining medical devices with treatment recommendations, even guidance to both clinicians as well as 
patients around what you can do to stay well and manage your own care. How do you make sure that you're not only treated well in the hospital, but that when you go home, you can ensure that you live in an appropriate way and that your treatment lasts? They're doing all kinds of things that are really focused on actually helping to achieve that health outcome. And as a result, it's transformed their business. One of the things that you mentioned, Trina, the question is the amount of data that exists. The book highlights seven big imperatives, and three of them are kind of how do you face the world? How do you organize yourself to actually deliver incredible value? And the final is all about your own leadership to kind of get this done. And one of these imperatives is what we call privilege insights. And the idea is that just having data about our customers is not enough. Market research has been around for a long time, and you can do studies and surveys and focus groups, but pretty much anybody can do the same thing and probably get similar data. Privilege Insights is about going further as about building an incredible relationship with your customer. And then in that relationship, actually exchanging information so that you can improve the service and the products that you have and innovate for the future as well. And in healthcare, we already have this incredible trust that exists in many places. That trust in some places I know has to be improved. But customers are certainly, and consumers and patients are certainly willing to share tremendous amounts of information. The question is, what are we doing with that? Are we reinventing ourselves? Are we solving those big issues like Matt described with Philips? And so I think privilege insights will become a very big topic in the industry as it is in many industries. And we will see that as sort of the engine for how to shape your own future. These examples are, are great. And Paul, as you mentioned, the book is structured around a set of imperatives that are quite powerful that the businesses could follow to achieve great progress. But they also require a major commitment of time and effort and resources. And so you've already given a couple of great examples. Tell us, what are some of the good things that happen to businesses that follow these imperatives? I can jump in here and, and I know Matt will have great things to add. I mean, first of all, we know that today we have got to improve most organizations' purpose in the world. I think healthcare has got a much better start. I mean, if you're a big provider, you can talk about purpose. But most employees, when they show up to work, still struggle sometimes to understand what is this organization really doing? Is it really solving some of those fundamental human needs? How do I fit in? What am I doing when I show up? How does this affect me? And so there's very big opportunities. And companies that were in our research that had these seven imperatives working together, they really connected this in a meaningful way, not only so that their customers or consumers or patients understood what they were doing, but their employees did. And their employees were motivated to transform the organizations. We can't get done what is needed without employees helping us along the way. We need massive motivation to solve today's issues. And so I think that that was a very big output. Obviously, these organizations grew. They were successful on many traditional dimensions. But I think this impact to the world, this impact on society, the linking of ESG to their purpose was a very big output. Absolutely. And just to pile on to that, for me, one of the greatest things that all of the organizations we had the opportunity to connect with in this work is that their purpose gave their people life, literally. It actually gave the organization life. It gave them something to work towards that people really cared about. It wasn't just to show up, to go fight, win, or be the number one in the industry. And what we actually discovered is that actually very few people care about this, not just employees, but even the leaders that we spoke to. It doesn't motivate them to get out of bed in the morning just to be number one in the industry or 
just to make a certain bonus number because they met the quarterly earnings target. And those aren't the only intrinsic motivators. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that the organizations that we spend time with that found a way to compete and succeed today have done so by actually creating a much bigger life for their organizations that literally pulls them forward. One of my favorite examples of that is actually one that has nothing to do with healthcare, and that is of Titan, which is the largest consumer goods company within India's Tata Group. And you might think, why am I talking about them on a healthcare podcast? One of the things they did initially was they wanted to go transform the jewelry industry in India. And they did so by initially going and implementing a whole bunch of modern technology, thinking we're going to bring modern manufacturing methods and a modern retail experience. We're going to roll up the whole industry because we're going to make it so amazing and efficient. What actually happened was that it didn't work. It just didn't work really well. What consumers really wanted was still artisanal quality jewelry that they were used to getting from their local artisanal jeweler. And so when they stood back to look at, well, how are we going to solve this issue? One of the fundamental problems that they saw was that being a jewelry artisan was not really a great profession. People didn't want to do that job to begin with. It was terrible working conditions, living conditions in many cases, wasn't a sustainable income. And so they transformed their entire thinking about this industry and said, look, we're going to take an ecosystem play. And what we're going to do instead of trying to compete and put these people out of business, we're going to actually work to solve their issues. We're going to improve their living conditions. We're going to give them a future so that there's a great career opportunity here, not just by necessarily making them employees, but by partnering with them and actually bringing them into our ecosystem. Now, what they've managed as a result of that is they have had tremendous success. And that's the kind of problem solving we absolutely need in healthcare to solve some of the issues in healthcare. You can't just be myopic about yourself and how are we going to win? How are we going to succeed? You have to be interested in how are you going to solve the issues and how are you going to do that working together with others versus just trying to compete against them. Matt and Paul, actually, that is so relevant to healthcare today because we have this war for talent going on in healthcare and workplace stories, stories about difficulty hiring and people leaving the healthcare workforce are common on media front pages, virtual front pages. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about that sense of purpose and hiring in, not just giving the employees that sense of purpose that will help them revive and give life to the company or the organization, but actually bringing in new talent? And how can you make your organization a magnet for new talent? Well, we actually dedicated a whole chapter in the book just to this topic. We call it reinvent the social contract with your people. And what we concluded is that this is something that is an imperative for all businesses, not just healthcare businesses or not just for the millennial employee because they're looking for purpose. No, actually, Everyone wants their work to matter. You're spending a great amount of your time. If you just think about it, you spend a large amount of your time at work and you somehow want that to matter. Of course, you want to have a great living and you want your working conditions to be great, but those are just table stakes. You also want to be able to have your work make a difference and solve real issues. So number one, I think it's important that organizations look at this issue of saying, look, we do need to actually reinvent how we engage people and connect their purpose with our organization's purpose. And then we lay out some very specific things that organizations can do, including things like actually giving their people time to be able to work on projects and collaborate across departments on an issue together, or investing in their upskilling, not as a sort of tactic to attract more workers or to compete with others necessarily, 
but simply so that they can actually empower the people that they have already to do a better job and actually solve the real issues that their customers have. So there's a number of things like this. And there's a great example, actually, from the Cleveland Clinic, which I know Paul loves. So I'm going to let him talk all about it with some of the things that they do in a very practical and tactical way to make this happen. Paul? Yeah, no doubt this is incredibly important. We've talked about ecosystems and ecosystems are so incredibly important and they're going to be more important in healthcare, as Matt says, to tackle some of these really gigantic issues. And the Cleveland Clinic, we actually profiled an ecosystem that they participated in outside the U.S., But the real benefit was a lot of the innovation that happened in that ecosystem because ecosystems challenge you. They bring new ideas. They bring different talent. They bring diverse perspectives. And then the question is, how do you bring that back? How do you roll that out? And the Cleveland Clinic learned a lot of things from their ecosystem trials and experiments and successes, including what's in the book about how they manage challenges at the hospital level and how they roll those up and get involved and get engaged. This is something that What we see happening in so many organizations in our research and certainly lots of healthcare players is that the model of operating as a team is changing. So another one of the imperatives is really all about outcome-oriented teams. We've grown up in this functional model, which has served us well, right? Lots of skills, lots of talent. Healthcare certainly has lots of that. But I think the learnings from the book and the research are that to solve the challenges of today, we have to bring skills together in permanent teams in ways where they can actually drive an outcome rather than sort of participating on the side in some of these big solutions. No doubt our case study of many organizations demonstrated this and brought to life a lot of the great stories of how to focus on outcomes, how to bring people together, and how to actually achieve something pretty amazing. Paul and Matt, I thought that one of the most powerful parts of the book and also the cover article from HBR that excerpted the book was the part that was addressed to the leaders and how leaders could rethink their approach and their leadership style and the composition of their leadership team. And one of the things that I thought was quite interesting was the notion of inverting the leadership model. I'm wondering if you would comment on what you mean by that and how it's applicable. It's so important, Igor, as you say, that the leadership team is essentially your mechanism for driving transformation. But if the leadership team isn't setting the agenda and driving change, it will be difficult to really see a big transformation through. And so what we noticed with many organizations is that there's so many fires to be fought. And we certainly know in the last two years in healthcare, the amount of attention spent in leadership teams just managing responsiveness to issues. That's true across lots of different sectors. And our management teams essentially today are getting requests and trying to respond to them. The question is how much time are they spending on the future? How much time are they spending as a team to really manage where they're going and how they're gonna get there? And yet the 12 companies, they all talked about this. They all talked about governance mechanisms, the style of the leadership team, the agendas, the diversity of perspectives on the team in order to drive change. In order to, yes, we have to respond. No doubt that's important, but equally important is the fact that we have to really transform. In fact, I think one of our great examples in the book was one of the leaders that said, it's our job to perform and transform. It's not one or the other. We can't just survive for today and not get to tomorrow. And we can't just look at the future without figuring out how we're going to get there. I think that was a really great quote to summarize this idea of what the leadership teams need to do going forward. The only thing that I would say in addition to that is that I think the other big thing is that Leadership teams actually need to work together as truly a team. Now, that might 
seem a little silly and may sound obvious. <laughs> but the fact is that many of us have grown up in a leadership model where we've been taught to compete against each other. You fight for the top job and you often find many organizations where leaders are sort of vying for that next big job. And even the system is deliberately set up in this competitive manner to sort of get the best to rise to the top. And I think one of the big things that we've learned through this process is that today in particular, if you want your organization to collaborate and really care about achieving customer outcomes, and by the way, that collaboration then will require them not just to work together with each other within the four walls of your organization, but they're going to have to collaborate with your customers. They might even have to collaborate with competitors, as we saw with the case of Komatsu, which is another company that we profiled. And they certainly will have to collaborate with your partners in the ecosystem. Now, if you want that kind of an outcome, you can't achieve that if you yourself as a leadership team don't collaborate. You know, it's all really interesting. And I think one thing that, Paul, you said that still sticks in my mind right now is that perform and transform comment. And I think in healthcare, the stakes are high in terms of performing. You cannot not perform if you run a hospital and you cannot not perform if you are running a pharmaceutical company or an insurer. And so I think Perhaps structurally, healthcare is really focused on the perform and that the transform gets pushed to the back burner because perform is so high stakes. And so what you said is really fascinating and I think will resonate with a lot of healthcare leaders because that transform piece is just as important. And I think in healthcare, it's just hard to put your eye on both at the same time, but it's really important. So thank you so much for coming and joining us today. It's been fascinating. Your book is wonderful. It's available online at many online book retailers. And thank you so much. And congratulations again on the book. Thank you, Trina. Thank you, Igor. Good to be with you. Thanks, Tom, for having us. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time. This has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.